Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Hi, my name is Cami Howard, and I am so glad to be with you all today. I love this church. I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to be with you. You're one of my favorite churches in the area. I'm actually on Lake Forest staff at Lake Forest Church. I've been there for 11 years, and I oversee our youth ministry, our women's ministry, as well as do some counseling and pastoral care. Now, I have a husband, Philip, who I've been married to for 19 years, and a daughter, Taylor, who's 15, and my son, Zach, who is 12. Today, I want to talk about hope. Who couldn't use a little more hope in your life, especially after this year? What if we can find hope today from hearing a story about forgiveness? What if we can find hope today from hearing a story from God's word? I believe we can, and I believe there's one place to look for hope, and that is in Christ. It's not in social media, it's not in our families, it's not in our jobs, our successes. Hope is found in Jesus. And Jesus says in Hebrews 13, eight, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, have you ever done something wrong, gotten caught, and then let off the hook? Now, it could be a speeding ticket. It could be something else. But today, we're going to talk about a story in the Bible about a woman who was caught but then let off the hook. But before we do that, I want to share a story with you about something that I did. I know it's shocking. I did something horrible and got let off the hook. But here's what it was. So I grew up in Charlotte at a small school down there called Country Day. Now our building was set up so that there were, the classrooms were not inside a big building, but they were um, lined up with a breezeway in between. So there's all these windows on the side of the classrooms. So of course you could walk by and wave to your friends and be very distracting whenever you wanted to. Okay, let me talk about how attendance was taken. So the teachers at the beginning of class would take attendance of who was in the room. They would write it down on this piece of paper. Well, if you were late, they had your name down and then you walked out a couple minutes late, they would just mark your name off, okay? So they would give you grace. Well, after that, what they would do is they would take the piece of paper, they would clip it outside the door, and then the attendance ninja would come by. And he or she would take the attendance off of every door in the school that had classrooms in it and would take it to the main office. And then the people there would call your house to make sure that you're actually at home or actually sick. Okay, so what I did one day is that I decided with my friends that we were going to skip class. I know, don't anybody ever do that. I'm sure none of you ever have. But we decided to skip a class, and here is how I was going to do it and not get in trouble. So I snuck under the window of my class that had this, I waited a little bit, had the sheet outside the door, had my name on it, and I took a pencil, I went up, I marked my name off, and then walked back to be with my friends. So it would look like I was late to the class and I wouldn't get caught. So had a great time with my friends. 
Later on that day, I saw the teacher that was teaching that class. She saw me from a distance, didn't say anything, so I'm like, it's all good. It's harder to get away with things at a small school rather than like uh, size of Huff. So I thought I'm good, right? The next day, the headmaster comes to the classroom, knocks on the door, opens it, and tells the teacher that he needs to see me, Cammy, outside with him. Okay, that's never a good sign, right? So I'm being called out of class. All my friends are like, ooh, you're in trouble. So I go out, but listen to what he said to me. He said, Cammie, I know you're a good kid, but I might have heard that you possibly skipped class yesterday. I don't want to know if you did or if you didn't. So let this be a warning to you just in case you did. You can go back into class. Oh my gosh, I was totally let off the hook. I went inside, of course, everybody's asking me what happened, but I actually did not learn my lesson. The very next day, I skipped another class. I'm just kidding, I did not do that, I'm not that dumb. So this morning, we're gonna look at a woman in the Bible who was caught but then let off the hook from what she had done. We're gonna look at John chapter eight, verses one through 11. And this is a story of Jesus with the adulterous woman. I'm guessing there are a lot of you that are probably familiar with this story, but sometimes when we're familiar with something, we have a tendency to just tune out. But I wanna encourage you today to lean in. Wherever you are on your spiritual wall, God has a message for you and a message for me today. So I'm gonna read the whole passage and then I'm gonna come back and break it down. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Okay, let's break down what was going on here. Verse one, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So at this time there was a big festival that was going on called the Feast of the Tabernacles. So there were already a lot of people that were around. So Jesus took advantage of this and he began to teach some people in the crowd. And I'm sure there were people walking by that would just stop and check out what he was saying. Jesus was teaching them and it says this in verse three. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who were the theologians and the rulers, brought in a woman caught in adultery. The teachers of the law, who were referred to as scribes, were different than the Pharisees. 
Teachers of the law were Jewish theologians who had studied the law of Moses and knew the ins and the outs. Pharisees, which meant separated ones, they tried with all their might to keep all the laws. They were self-righteous at times, but there were over 600 laws, so there was really no way that they could keep all those. Now, not all scribes were Pharisees, and not all Pharisees were scribes, but one thing that they did have in common is that they were both trying to take Jesus down. So it says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. So we know that there was more than one person who brought this woman to Jesus. This is maybe an obvious question, but where was the man? Where was the man? It takes two to tango, right? Did he just slip away? Did he just grab his clothes and peace out? We don't know. We just know he's not mentioned anymore and he was not with this woman in front of Jesus. The guy that she had been with might have even been a scribe or a Pharisee. So they wouldn't want to get one of their own in trouble. But they had no problem dragging the woman out of the house. In order for this woman and this man to be caught in the act, as well as the man slipping off, it seems like the timing could only happen if there was an actual setup. And let's just think for a minute about what the woman would be feeling. Here she is, dragged down the street. I hope she had a chance to grab a sheet and put it around her. None of that is actually said in scripture. But I can only imagine the shame that she felt when she was walking down the streets. So she's brought to Jesus where he was teaching and she was placed in front of him. Now keep in mind, the Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't really care about this woman getting justice or the upholding of the law. They were just concerned with trapping Jesus in their questions, which I'm gonna get to those in a minute. Verse three, they made her stand before the group. So first of all, they didn't just say, hey Jesus, come over here, I wanna tell you something privately. They made her stand before the group. And it's the next sentence that actually makes me cringe. Not only did the woman commit adultery, it says she was caught in the act. She was caught in the act. Now, I don't need to go into a whole lot of details about what that actually means. But it's one thing to be caught for something after the fact, to get in trouble for it. It's another thing to be caught in the act. Let me show you a quick video um, of a friend of mine. She posted this, and this is of her son, Chase, who thought that he was sneaking and thought he wasn't going to get caught in the pantry. So let's just imagine the horror and the embarrassment that this woman felt. Nothing like what Chase felt in this video. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. Think about one of the worst things that you have ever done. Think about that. What is that thing that you would never want anyone else to know about you? Picture that someone could actually read your mind and know what you're thinking. Then let's just say all of that was put up on a screen for everyone to see. So again, this woman who was referred to as the adulterous woman was caught in the act and dragged to be in front of the people and in front of Jesus. And then it says, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. 
Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. How were they trying to trap Jesus? They were trying to ask questions that would put Jesus in a lose-lose situation. And they start by bringing up the law. I mean, you could probably just hear the tone. Well, in the law, it says Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? He said. Again, let's be clear. They did not bring her before Jesus because they were so upset about her behavior or so committed to the law of Moses. They were setting Jesus up. They were trying to get Jesus in trouble with the Romans. If Jesus had said stone the woman, then he would get in trouble because such an act of stoning someone would be considered capital punishment and he would have to go through the Roman judicial system. But if Jesus would have said don't stone her, then he would have been seen as someone who didn't care about the law. So they asked Jesus, what do you say? He said nothing. He said nothing. So if he didn't say anything, what did he do? It says that Jesus bent down and started writing with his finger. I mean, did he not hear them? Was he not aware of what was going on? No, he was. But do you think that when he did that, the attention went away from the woman and the attention was put on Jesus? He bent down to do that, so they were maybe not even looking at her. It says this in verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you that is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Again, this was the second time. Now I imagine him looking into the eyes of everyone that was standing around. Now I wonder for the woman, was she just holding her breath, knowing that soon rocks are gonna be thrown at her? I probably would have just closed my eyes and braced myself for that to happen. Well, what do you think Jesus was writing? There's been some speculation by scholars that, that he was writing down the names of those around him and he was writing down their sins because he knew all of it. He could have just been playing tic-tac-doe. We don't know, doodling, who knows? But Jesus did know that every single one of them had sinned. What we do also know is that the only one who did not have to drop a rock was Jesus. Verse nine says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. They were dropping their rocks one at a time. Now the older ones had experienced more life and were more aware of their sin. The younger ones, it might take them a little bit longer. Some of them didn't wanna let go. Man, they were holding on tight to that rock. But the point is, they all dropped their rocks, every single one of them, and walked away. So here's what Jesus did after that. In verse 10 it says, Jesus straightened up and asked, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. I can just imagine at that point, she was finally able to exhale and to breathe again. She was treated with love and kindness and she was let off the hook. But even though she was let off the hook, here's one point that I do wanna bring out of this story. Jesus is not soft on sin. That's not what this story means. 
It's not that he didn't care what she had done. In fact, he said, go now and leave your life of sin. But he showed her dignity by speaking to her in private. Jesus wasn't planning to just overlook her sin. He told her to leave that life, to move away from it, to turn and to go in the other direction. It says in John 1 verses 14, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is not just about grace and he's not just about truth. He was full of both. Jesus didn't just turn a blind eye to what she had done, but he showed her grace. And that was first explained to me in high school, the word grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, if she were just going to continue doing what she had done, then that would have been cheapening the gift of grace that Jesus had offered. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We should never take advantage of a forgiving God just because we know that he will forgive us. What he had to do to bridge the gap between us and God is that he had to take all the sin of the world on himself on the cross. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to become the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, do we sometimes repeat the same sin over and over? Yes, of course we do. And when we confess those sins, we can be forgiven. But this should not ever mean that we can give ourselves a free pass to do whatever we want because we know that we can be forgiven. And Jesus doesn't just want us to not continue in our sin because he's some kind of killjoy, or as my daughter has called me a time or two, a fun sponge but because he knows what's best for us and he knows that our sinful choices will most likely hurt us. And our sin can sometimes put a distance in our relationship with God. But is it God who puts the distance there or is it us? It's us because of our shame, we will keep that distance there. Have you ever truly felt shame before? Have you ever felt that before? Shame is what keeps us bound up. Shame is what keeps us from bringing our sin into the light. Here are two quotes from an author, Brene Brown, about shame. Shame is the intense, painful feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging. And another one. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. That is so powerful and so true. I'm going to read that again. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Shame is something that keeps us in bondage because we think if someone knew what's really going on in our lives, they would no longer love us. They wouldn't want to be around us. I've listened to so many people over the years who have shared their stories. And what took them so long to share their stories is that they were caught up in shame. One story from years ago was a woman who came to me and shared with me, she was trembling, and shared with me that 20 or 25 years before that she had had an abortion. How brave of her to tell me that. Another person shared with me some sexual sin that was going on in their lives and what it came down to and what she was able to admit 
was that it all was going on because she was so lonely. How brave of her to tell me that. And then another gal came to me and shared that she had had an affair with her past husband, and now she was married to the guy that she had an affair with. But guess what? She thought that that was gonna be a secret that she took with her to the grave. But God had prompted her to share that story with a few trusted people. That was so brave of her to tell me. Shame's power can be released when we bring our sin into the light. So to experience this freedom is to share what we have kept in the darkness to God and to a trusted person. This can be a huge part of our healing. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So Jesus, he's not soft on sin, but he wants us to turn away from it and he wants us to experience healing. And there's a second important point I want to bring out of this story. How was this woman referred to in the Bible? Did we ever catch her name? No, she was referred to as what? The woman caught in adultery. Now, when we talk about this story, that's what we say. If we Google the woman caught in adultery, John 8 will come up. But does the sin that she committed end up truly defining her? Does what we do and the sin that we've committed define us? No, it didn't with her and it doesn't with us. What this woman had done did not define who she was or how Jesus treated her. She met Jesus and she was changed. Jesus did not treat her as her sin deserved. He does not treat us as our sin deserves. In fact, Psalm 103, 10 through 12, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Our sins are the very reason that Jesus went to the cross, but we no longer have to be defined by our sins. Instead, we can be defined by who God says that we are. Now, my son has Down syndrome, but I don't like it when someone refers to him as a Down syndrome kid. Zach is not a Down syndrome kid. Zach is a child. He is my son. He is loved by God, and he happens to have Down syndrome. Some people may refer to another kid as an ADH kid or an autistic kid, but guess what? They are kids. They are loved by God, and they happen to have a disability. This is called people-first language. And the same goes for us. You are not an alcoholic. You are a child of God who struggles with alcohol. You're not a gossiper. You're a child of God who gossips. You're not an addict. You're a child of God who has struggled with addiction. You're not an adulterer. You're a child of God who has committed adultery. You're not a liar. You're a child of God who has lied. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Did you hear that? It says that is what we are. And in the same way, this woman whose story that we read about today is referred to as the woman caught in adultery. She was no longer defined by that. 
She was a child of God first who had committed adultery. What an example of how Jesus shows grace, truth, and forgiveness. So I have a question for you. Have you personally experienced this hope that Jesus offers? Have you experienced the love and the grace that Jesus has shown you? And have you accepted the forgiveness that he offers? And I know many of you, you have done that, but there are also some that haven't. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all, every single one of us. To accept his gift of forgiveness is to believe John 3.16 and 17, which is probably familiar to a lot of you. For God so loved the world, which is every one of us, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him, who, me, whoever, shall not perish, which is to die in our sins, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now that's hope. And you can give your heart to him today. You don't have to clean your act up. And if you do that, if you give your life to him, you ask him to be the leader of your life, please tell someone, tell Gerald, tell Phil, tell another staff member, but they're gonna wanna know that if you have given your heart to Christ and begin a relationship with him. So here are a few takeaways as I close. Number one, you are not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your sin, by what you have done. You are loved deeply by the God who created you. You are a child of God. That is who you are. Don't give in to the lie that what you've done will define you. Don't allow shame to keep you from being free. Remember, Jesus said to that woman, I do not condemn you. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you've accepted Jesus into your life, there is no condemnation for you. And that is great news and gives us hope. Number two, drop your rocks. Drop your rocks. Have you carried around rocks of bitterness, rocks of unforgiveness, rocks of anger, rocks of judgment, rocks of self-righteousness? I know that I have. And it can be hard to drop the rocks. We can see sin so much easier in others than we see in ourselves. And I've seen more people throw rocks this past year than maybe I've ever seen in my life. And it's come in the form of judgment on social media and my way is the right way and all of that. But what has saddened me the most is a lot of times I've seen Christians who are doing that. So please stop doing that and drop your rocks. Instead of throwing rocks, then give over to God what you're feeling and struggling with and then drop your rocks. Number three, be a giver of grace and hope and find a giver of grace and hope. We all need that today. We need to be reminded of who we are and we need to remind others of who they are. Be that person that someone feels comfortable coming to and sharing some things that they're not comfortable sharing with others that maybe they feel shame over. And you also find someone that you can do the same with, that you can share with, a safe person. But I do wanna give you a quick word of caution Please be sure that when you do go to someone, that that is someone who you can trust and someone who is following Christ. Hope is real. Hope can change us. And hope is found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. 
God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for um, just what we can learn today from the woman who was caught in adultery. Guess what? She was not defined by that. We don't know her name, but we do know that she was a child of God who was set free. And God, I pray for every single one of us, God, that you would set us free. You would help us realize that there is no condemnation for us. Help us, God, to drop our rocks and help us to be a giver of hope and one who receives hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.